May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There's an ancient Chinese story of a man who was uh, riding in a horse-drawn carriage. He was on his way to conduct some business dealings in, a, in another part of, the, of China, and he, was, he, he got in the carriage and he told his driver to ride quickly to where we're going. And, and so they were, they were taking off very fast and going along, and, and as they were going, they... they they came upon this old man who was riding on a mule, and, and they, um, they looked out at the old man on the mule, and, and he says to the guy in the, in the carriage, says, um, you know, we're in a hurry, we're on our way to the state of Chu, can you point the direction? And the old man on the mule said, um, well, you're actually going the wrong direction, you're heading south, and the, the direction you need to go is north, you need to, to turn around, and, and the man in the carriage says, no, 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 that's all right, you can see my horse is very fast. And the old man says, well, I can see that your horse is indeed very fast, but you're going very fast in the wrong direction. You need to turn around and go the other way. And, and, and then the, the man in the carriage, the young man says, no, no, that, that's not right. You can see that I have a very new carriage. And the old man on the mule said, yes, I see that you have a very fast horse and a very new carriage, uh, but you're going the wrong way. And the young man in the carriage says, but do you see this large suitcase attached to the back of my carriage? It is filled with money. I am fully prepared, no matter how long the road takes. And the old man says, well, I understand that you're fully prepared and that you have a very fast horse and a very new carriage, but you're going the wrong way. You need to turn around and come go back the way which you came. The young man finally says, I've been on the road for ten days. I can't turn around now. And the old man says, but you're going the wrong way. And the young man says... I do not need to listen to you, tells the driver, ride as fast as you can. And quickly, they sped off into the distance. Determination is a good thing. You know that, right? It's a good thing to be determined. But there's a point in time when, when determination becomes bullheaded stubbornness. When it becomes stupidity. When we become so stubborn that we're going in the one way that there's no way that we can turn around. I'm not telling you anything new. I know that at least once, at least once, we've all been bullheaded. We've all been stubborn. We've all acted stupidly, keeping to the path that we were on. I know, maybe only one time, and it was probably when you were eight. But you remember that, don't you? You remember a time when you were bullheaded, when you were stubborn. I think the degree to which we're most stubborn corresponds directly to the investment we have in a particular idea. I mean, I've traveled for 10 days. I can't possibly turn around now, right? I've never stopped and asked for directions, said Moses to Mrs. Moses. I can't possibly turn and ask for directions now, right? Maybe you've been with that guy. Um, I was married in this church. I'll be buried in it. I've had these socks since the Carter administration. There's no sense in throwing them out now. See, they're still good. At least this one's still good, you know, or something like that. We have this, this, uh, this desire to stick fast to these ideas that we've had for a long time. And the longer that we've had them, the more unbending we become. I remember uh, uh, maybe two years ago, I can't remember, a year ago, whatever, the la- I was living still in Circleville, and the Buckeyes announced that they were going to change just slightly, like the sleeves on their football jerseys. 
Oh my lands, you would have thought that the whole world was coming apart. You know, all he talked on the radio was the change in the football jerseys. And I'm thinking to myself, of all the things in the world to worry about, sports fashion shouldn't be at the top of the list. But it dominated the Columbus news media because there's this little change in the football jerseys. We're so stubborn, aren't we? I mean, we church it up. We call ourselves traditional. I'm traditional. Yes, I know, I'm traditional too. But that's no reason to hold fast to silly ideas sometimes. Or, or to be so stubborn. I'm not going to change. This is what I've always done. This is the way we've always done it. Well, that might be good. Again, I, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's, there's anything wrong with tradition or, or holding fast to the ways of the past. I'm saying that sometimes... Sometimes we can cling stubbornly to ideas that are wrong. John the Baptist shows up. And he says it not once, but twice. You heard it, didn't you? You heard it in the reading. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. He's, he's right there. John, John is pointing. Do you see that man? This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And of course, when John says this, he's pointing to Jesus' future, isn't he? He's saying, as, as prophets are wont to do, this man has a future. And his future is on the cross, where he'll die for the sins of humanity. And, and perhaps it's a sad reality that I have to remind us. But I do. You know that every person, every man, woman, child, who ever walks upon the face of the earth, every single one of us who's ever been born on this planet has one thing in common. We all have a disposition. We all have a nature that is bent against God. We want our own way. We want to be selfish. We want to hold on to the things that are ours. That We want to be our own gods, as Adam and Eve wanted to be their own gods. We want our own way. We have a congenital birth defect. It's called sin. That's the, that's the, the very short theological word for selfishness and, and greed, avarice, all the, the, the vices that are part of our lives are wrapped up in that one single little word. I was talking to a woman not too long ago um, who goes to a different church and, and somehow the conversation came up. It wasn't my doing, I promise. But the conversation came up about, about some changes in her church's view of marriage. Um, no longer man and woman. And, um, and so I said to her, you know, I, I, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm a bit um, you know, befuddled by this. Uh, it's a bit confusing to me. Um, what do you, you know, where's this come from? And, and she says, well, you know, I, I don't know that we have to be guided in modern times by ancient mores. I think that there's, you know, we should look at things afresh. And I said, but I understand that. Um, you know, I'm not stubbornly holding on to a silly idea, but, but both Old and New Testaments reveal God's will about this. And this isn't like, you know, we're just guessing at this or just holding on. But, but God has spoken clearly to this issue. And she says to me, I don't really care what the Bible says about this issue. I think that we have the right to make our own minds up. Well, you know, I said, I understand that that's what you think, but perhaps that's why your church is falling apart. You know, that there's a sense in which you, you're not holding to the authority of Scripture anymore. You're not, you're not under the authority. That's exactly the very nature of sin. But you know what? It's not limited to churches in their view of marriage. 
It's our own view that we're not under God's authority, that we don't listen. We want to be our own authority. John the Baptist says, look, do you see that man? He comes to take away the sin of the world. And he's going to do it by dying on a cross. This is how he takes away the sin of the world. He comes to take away the sin by dying in our place. He's going to sacrifice himself for us. Now here's the thing. The sacrifice of Jesus is not just to spare us from eternal punishment. Thanks be to God that it does that. I'm glad that Jesus took the punishment for my sin. But He didn't just come and He didn't just die to spare us the pain of punishment. He came to change us. To transform us. He came not only to save us from the punishment of sin, but to change the reality in our lives. He came to make us different people. He came to change us, to transform us. Here's here's the old uh, um, Greek word, to metamorphose us. So that we would become something different. That we might become righteous, not uh, not just saved from the penalty of sin, but changed. St. Paul, writing to the Romans, says he says to them, uh, talks about all the grace of God and, and the way that the grace of God overcomes sin in our lives. And then he says, so what shall we say then? Should we just go on sinning so that grace could abound? I like the way that the authorized version translates the next one, the double negative. God forbid. In Greek, ume. No, never. Well, shall we, con- should we continue on sinning that grace may abound? Never. Heaven forbid. Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His, into his death, that we might be raised. That there might be a difference in our lives. Christ did not come to simply save us from the penalty, but to change us, to make us different people. How does He do this? John the Baptist tells us. It was there in the text. He says that the God revealed to him, the one on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one, listen, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You want to be changed? You want to be, you want to be transformed? You want to become something new? It's not just about, about moral reformation. It's not just about stirring up and saying, you know, I can do better. We should. We should have some moral reformation. We should stir ourselves up and say, I can do better. But it's not enough. We need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Now, perhaps you've heard this language, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and perhaps you have all sorts of connotations to it. Uh, some people, uh, they hear baptism of the Holy Spirit, they think that someone like loses body, bodily control and falls on the ground and, and um, you know, is sort of uh, in a trance-like state. And, and perhaps that's the case for some. I'm not saying that that's I've seen that happen. I, I believe it's real. For others, it's, it's about speaking in an unknown language. You know, a, a language they haven't studied. They, they have this ability to speak, we say, in other tongues. And, and I believe that's real. I've seen it happen. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is ultimately about this. It's about being filled with God's Spirit so that there is no more sin in our lives. It is cleansing us and making us new people. Taking away our sin. Making us pure vessels in the hand of God. Doesn't mean we won't continue to struggle with sin. I think St. Catherine of Siena, I think, says this, 
We'll always struggle with sin. Hopefully it's not always the same ones. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's probably right. But it's not an excuse to keep on sinning. It's not an excuse to continue to live with a, a, a sense of, I'll do whatever I want. A, a moral autonomy. As long as sin dominates in our lives, we cannot know real joy. As long as sin dominates in our lives, we will not know the power of God. We will not know real freedom. We will not know real peace. And you know what? The catch is this. We can't change ourselves. We can't do this. We can't just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to nail the Ten Commandments in my front yard. you know, So that when I go home, I'll see them and, and, and I'll, every day that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll keep them. I can't put them on my refrigerator. You know? Put them on your refrigerator, please. That'd be great, you know. Uh, just as a, can I have just a little aside? You know, I, I hear all, all, you know, a lot of the, the the political talk about putting the Ten Commandments up in courthouses and stuff. I grew up in a town where they were right on the courthouse screen. It didn't help me to keep them, but they were there, you know. And, and I always wonder, why are we fighting to put them out in the courthouse? Why don't we put them up in our own house? You know, why don't we put them in our own homes and on our own? Put them on your refrigerator, you know, whatever it takes. But that's not enough. It's not enough to have another New Year's uh, resolution. Oh, I'm going to do it this year. If you're depending upon yourself to be morally pure, you will never get there. Because you are weak. We are all weak. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us, to make us into different kind of people. Because being a Christian is not about joining the church. Though I, I hope that everyone joins the church. Being a Christian is not about being on a committee. Although you might think that it was, right? Being a Christian is not about, it's not about keeping a list of rules. It's not even about reciting the creed. Though I think that it's good to have disciplines and, and you know that I believe in the creed. Being a Christian is about following Jesus. And Jesus will allow anyone to follow Him because He loves us all just like we are. But here's the thing. He loves us too much to leave us just like we are. He wants us just the way we come. All the warts and nastiness and, and things of life. Bring it all. But He doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to change us. He wants to make us different kind of people. He wants to make us into real people. True humanity is what N.T. Wright says. I think he's right. To become real human beings. Perhaps you know the story of, of John Newton. And if you do, you won't mind me telling the story again. And if you don't, you'll be thrilled to hear this. John Newton died, or his mother died when he was just a, a small boy. His father was in the Navy and he was forced into military service at 11 years old. He boarded a ship and was part of the Navy um, and, and went out to sea with them, and he was terrified. And so as soon as they docked, he ran away and deserted. He was a, he was a deserter. And when he, he, he grew a little older, he went back to becoming a merchant marine. He went out for money. And he found that in the 18th century when he lived that um, you could make quite a bit of money as a merchant marine on a slave ship. And so he began to help transport slaves. He would, empty a, he, he would uh, board an empty vessel in, in England and, and sail down to Africa and load it up with, uh, with slaves 
that he would trade um, liquor or food or, or whatever for, and weapons, and, and he would transport slaves to the New World, to America. And he would do this over and over again. England, down to Africa, loaded up with human cargo, transport uh, these, these persons to America. And he saw the worst part of the slave trade. He saw 600 people crammed into the belly of a ship. And one day, on board the ship, somehow, and who even knows how this got there, someone dropped a, to- a copy of Thomas Akempis's The Imitation of Christ. So he picks up this little book and he begins to read it. And he finds his heart begins to be stirred and changed and challenged. And he gave his life to Christ. And on that slave ship he realized that he was involved in great moral evil. And so he quit his job. Imagine that. He quit his job because he believed that it was, it was offensive to God. And he began to, to find other work. Eventually he began to study for the ministry. He was ordained an Anglican priest at the age of 39. And this rough and crusty sailor, he began to write poetry. What kind of sailor writes poetry? And you know one of his poems. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He wasn't being facetious. He wasn't being hyperbolic. He was a wretch. And he recognized that. And so are all of we. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind. But now I see. John the Baptist says to us, Today, look, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Right there. Amen.